Thank you so much, Eric, for joining the We Don't Play podcast show today. How are you? I'm great, Favor. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I'm great. You know, this, <laughs> this topic is something I think a lot of people would love to tap into, especially if it's not their forte. It may be something they may want to dabble into and see. So I'm excited about this this whole gaming industry, you know, it's people talk about it every time, but we can never get away from gaming, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And gaming's part of life as well. Exactly. They say the game of life. So I guess I guess this is it. So tell us more about yourself, what you do, and how did you even get started? Like what brought you to this point? Well, uh, First off, I am an artist, so uh, both professionally and just on the side. So I'm a designer by trade, but a fine artist and uh, a comedian. I've done improv for about 11, 12 years at this point. And for most of my life, I've been a GM or game master and storyteller. And I got started gaming way back in the day when I was like eight or nine years old. And uh, because I had actually appendicitis, and I was locked in my house for about a month. And I couldn't go and run around and play. And someone got me uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide back in the day, second edition. And I started playing that. I started playing other role-playing games. And I've always been what I consider to be a, uh, a storyteller in my mind, in my head, and making stuff up through play. And that translated over to my artistic career, obviously, because art is visual storytelling in many ways. But also with uh, game mastering, playing Dungeons and Dragons is probably the one that most people recognize, but there's tons of games out there, Shadowrun, for example, or GURPS, White Wolf, and so forth. And uh, through my friend, Matt Staples, who also has gamed for about as long as I have, we decided to start a podcast to teach people how to game, how to tell better stories, play better characters, and basically have fun. And so that's where the Goblin's Corner came about. Hmm. Okay. And why was it called the Goblin's Corner? Because it's, it's two words that catch my attention. Goblin and then corner. <laughs> so, indeed, the goblins are kind of like the ubiquitous monsters in the game for low-level characters. And, uh, Matt and I have talked about our uh, playing games for a long time. And a lot of times, those conversations would basically equate to us kind of sitting on the porch, you know, BSing about, oh, uh, this rule or this storyline or something like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe the books and novels that we've read that really inspire us. And so when we came up with the show, we decided to have this kind of mental image of these two goblins sitting in the corner with a beer talking about you know the world and so that's kind of how that came about okay i love that and you know when you talked about being an artist you know tell us a little bit more about that side because you know we we always hear artists are very subjective to their art and sometimes when they go through some things and people tell them about their art they're like oh thank you or i didn't think you'd say that so how important is feedback I think that's the question. How important is feedback to you when people criticize or critique your art? I would say feedback is very important. Uh, I'm uh, My trade is uh, more in uh, user experience design by day, but okay. I'm also, again, a, paint, a painter. So we'll talk about that later. But okay. uh, in terms of UX design, I think feedback is especially important because 
Designers tend to try to solve a problem. And I like to tell people, you know, a designer is someone who is a problem solver that uses art as a toolkit, much like a carpenter would use a hammer and nail. Mm -hmm. And so feedback's important because if you're not doing what the user needs or what your client needs, then you aren't on track. That's where bad design comes from because you're not listening. Art in general is a conversation between multiple different people, right? So you've got the, the end result, so the end user is oftentimes what people refer to that as. You have the client and their uh, objectives, either to sign people up for a site or to generate more revenue. And then you have the business objectives overall. For, so for example, maybe growth or uh, defining some kind of need that allows the business to succeed. And so when you do a design, you want that feedback from either your peers, other designers, so that they can help you improve your craft or uh, maybe even your failures, right? From clients or otherwise. We learn best by falling and getting and picking ourselves back up. That is true. I, it's more like failing forward in a way. And we're always afraid of failing, but when it happens, we just take it and they're like, yeah, let's take our L and run. But yeah, at some point yeah. you're like, yeah, go ahead. I would love to hear your thoughts oh. on that. Oh, no, I, you know, I, my whole career has been falling forward in, in terms of stuff like that. In okay. improv, they say, follow the fear. And uh -huh. so in comedy, you want to seek out those things which scare you, which make you afraid because yes, you're going to fail and you're going to learn something by failing. And that is where we find ourselves become the most creative when we're kind of backed in a corner and we don't know how to do something. And that's where all the, the novel approaches come from. Mm. So I'm a big fan of screwing something up and just learning from it. I love that. I really love that. You know, when you think about creative mindset, you know, somebody wants to be creative. We're all creatives in our own way. But how do you make someone creative? Like, what's the best way to start thinking creatively? Is it by reading books or going to shows like how can you like get that zen out so that you can be your best self in that creative space <coughs> well i think uh the best way to start being creative is just to observe the world around you mm -hmm. uh, find things that inspire you and it, and it really differs depending upon the person right so in comedy, I find watching people is a very uh, fun exercise because people are funny. People are, you know, they're generous, they're eager, they're earnest, and they're hilarious. All of our faults, all of our successes generate comedy. In fine art, nature is a great thing to look at and just the world around you. And. Uh, yes, obviously, as a student of design, I would definitely say, you know, if you want to get skills and such, you know, work on acquiring uh, design knowledge, you know, reading the publications, learning your craft and stuff like that. But I think it all begins with finding something. It could be anything, you know, maybe you happen to enjoy animals and that might be the gateway by which you get into the greater world of design and art. It might be... Uh, I don't know, Lego models, right? I've, I met this guy who was a designer. He made a whole bunch of pixel art. And the reason he got started is because he liked to build Legos as a kid. And I thought that was a really cool gateway into it. He just found something that was interesting. All of life stems around art anyway. And then find what you really jive with. 
I love that. You know, when you mentioned that, what came to my mind is, I, I don't know if you're into this, because a lot of artists are, or graphic artists are, but how does this play a role into NFTs and art, if you have any ideas on that? Because I know not everybody's in it, but if that's something you could touch on, could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, uh, I'm not big on NFTs right now. I'm not real sure uh, its value at the moment. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of people that, that say, you know, hey, these, this is the next big thing in terms of currency and the value of art. One of the things about art has always existed is that art has always been subjective. It's always had a subjective uh, value to it in terms of like how much something in is, uh, but it's also had uh, a subjective value in terms of what it means to somebody else. And I'll, I'll give two examples. Van Gogh never sold a painting. He, he died poor. And only, you know, 100 years after his death or more did any of his work become actually viable and worth something. Uh, also, in terms of what people maybe might be con what considered to be art. So for example, some people oftentimes say uh, uh, Dadaism is a good example where uh, I believe it's Paul Duchamp who signed a toilet bowl and claimed that was art. You know, I get the idea, may not be my personal thing, right? Because I was like, okay, that's art because it's art, right? Art is something that evokes an emotion, regardless of whether you like it or don't like it, right? If it makes you think, it's probably art. But that value to the individual may be vastly different across spectrums. And so where NFTs come into play, I think is society is trying to define a net value for a particular art piece. And I think that how you see a lot of them having problems right now is that it's entirely subjective. And so when you're trying to lock down this piece of artwork is worth this much, well, you may find that that's going to vastly fluctuate. And so it doesn't really seem particularly viable right now because it's so fluid. Mm. I like that you said that because it's something that people are still trying to tap into, especially if you're making a financial commitment to it. It's not going to be like, oh, yeah, NFTs. Yeah, let me put a hundred thousand down now. They'll be like, no, I don't know if this is going to the ether. You know, we've heard different stories like, you know, what's happening in the financial world. So art is very big and people love to go to museums. They love to go to art gallery centers and all those things. So playing that role is very important. And I'm glad that you brought that up today because, you know, just wanted to have an idea of what your thoughts were. Yeah, art follows trends too. Yeah. So 20 years from now, that art piece might not be worth anything or it might be worth 20 times its value. And that's one of those things, when you're trying to buy something that's an NFT, you're kind of taking a, a really big gamble. You're gambling that it's going to be worth more or at least enough that you can offload it to somebody else before it spirals back down. 100%. You know, I'm glad you mentioned that because, you know, I'm thinking about the gaming side of things too because when people buy games they buy games that have art on them you know they, there's their picture so if someone wants to get fortnite they know what that looks like you know so how does that play into conversions you know connections and just branding in general i would say good artwork emphasizes the story 
Mm. It all comes down to a story, and, and you know this, the best games you've played have been ones with a great story behind them. Yeah. If they don't have a story, then it's just something fun. You might pick it up and put it down later, but the ones that really draw us in have a well-written story, lore behind it, maybe character development or something like that. And art plays into that because it either enhances the storyline or it assists with telling the story. This falls into play regardless of whether you're playing a video game or even, you know, my area of expertise, you know, tabletop gaming, right? Uh, some of the best artwork from many of the books that you read. So for, I'll take Dragonlance as an example, right? Uh, the artist behind the Dragonlance series, the original books, the artwork was very well done and people literally would just buy the book because of the artwork behind it. And then they got into the story. So that assisted with that. I would definitely say if you're an author, go find yourself a good artist to help you sell that book. That is true. I, we can't ignore art. It's everywhere in music, in fashion. It, it's everywhere. <laughs> so you can't ignore. And the world is also art, you know. So it, it's just a beautiful place to be in. And I really appreciate you for that, too. You know, one of the things that you mentioned that caught my attention was a tabletop. Now, my audience may know what that is. Some people may be like, huh? So could you please tell us a little bit what is tabletop gaming and then give us an example like like you did but with more description and then tell us what your favorite you know tabletop role playing game is. Okay. Uh, a tabletop game is a storytelling game that you play with a bunch of people. Usually it's uh, centered around a particular storyteller. Uh, in Dungeons and Dragons, they call it a dungeon master, but it also could be storyteller or game master or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the idea behind it is is that you're basically freeform improving with a character of some sort that you've developed, and their stats determine, for example, how smart they are, how strong they are, maybe some personality quirks, or you can even play different species, right? So like dragons and stuff like that. And whenever you do some sort of action, then you would roll dice to let randomness determine whether you succeed or fail. And depending upon how, for example, smart you are or strong you are, you either succeeded or failed depending upon those stats and those rolls. Mm. So it's very similar to when we were playing with our toys as kids. It's almost identical to that. The only difference is you've got a little bit of rules behind that. I'll give you an example. Uh, you and I are sitting in a bar and we're having a beer and all of a sudden bursts in an, an, a troll, right? He's eight foot tall, he's covered in warts, he's green skin, he's got some big tusks and he immediately just slugs the barkeep, knocks him out cold. What do we do, right? So we're just two people hanging out. We might, you might say, oh, I'm, I, I, gotta, I gotta save this barkeep, man. He just gave me a shot. And so uh, <laughs> you jump him, right? You jump on his back. Cool, that's an action. You get to roll for that. And then in the game, we would have made some stats up beforehand, and that's it. That's a tabletop game. There are many different types. Dungeons and Dragons is the one that most people recognize when they hear tabletop roleplay. But there's also card games, which can uh, work very similar to that. So Munchkin's a good example, or Gloomhaven, which is written by um, uh, Keith Baker. You could play uh, futuristic games, such as Travelers or Shadowrun. You could play any different type of game. There's anime games out there, all kinds of stories. And so the idea behind a tabletop game is really sitting with your friends, telling a story collaboratively 
building the world and then rolling some dice to see if you succeed or fail in your actions and having fun. I love that. I love that. It's like you put a story in someone's mind and then you create that improv, you know, and then there's also that role playing that comes into what you're doing. So, you know, that also get gets me to think about this and I'm asking myself, okay, what is the secret to life, the universe and everything? What are the things that you play into? Because, you know, as you mentioned this, people play games to escape from reality in a way. So when you think about the universe life in itself, how does this play a role into your actual well-being <laughs> mentally? I took a long, took a second for me to not do a uh, Douglas Adams reference to life, the universe and everything being 42. Uh, aside from that, <laughs> I would say uh, in terms of like playing into my life, the concept of play is is part of everybody's nature mm -hmm. uh, you know and this goes back to again we're talking once again about art and play you know gaming and tabletop storytelling is free because it allows you to explore worlds and concepts that don't exist in your day-to-day -day life it's uh, it helps you know hone your mind it helps you think on your feet so if you can make up a story about you know we talk about the troll slugging the barkeep, right? If you can make something like that off the cuff and plan a story out with a bunch of different people who have all different answers, then you can plan for any contingency in a business world or in your real life. Uh, for example, I ace interviews because I can be, uh, because A, I'm an improviser, but also B, because I'm good at storytelling. And when you're getting, say you're uh, going through a, uh, a job interview and they ask you to tell them a story about something well if you already play games and you know how to story tell then you can involve that into your business aspect and nail that interview mm. if you're presenting something then that allows you to speak publicly with more confidence and a greater emphasis on uh, what you need to communicate uh, if you are just in your day-to-day -day life and stress gets you down, it's just like reading a book or watching a movie, it's a fun escape to get away from the stresses of life because the act of creation, whether it's storytelling or gaming in general, is is fun. It releases those good endorphins. It makes you feel better. Yeah, that is true. Wow. I think that has given us a new perspective on how to treat life, you know, because it's very fragile. You know, and everybody is trying to make the most out of their lives by doing things differently. And if you've never been to a tabletop game, you may not know what that is until you try it. And then when you try it, you're like, oh, this is cool. Let me spend more hours on it. So I think this is something that a lot of people have to also get into the know-how. Because some people don't even like games at all. They think it's just like a waste of time. But for others, it's like this is a place where you actually train your brain in a way to actually think through things and you know work through your neurons and everything but you know what is your your thought on this when it comes to gaming and also mindset when it comes to like exercising your brain muscles let me put it like that <clears throat> well um 
there's a lot of different types of strategies behind telling the story. And so uh, I'll give an example of this. When I first started uh, running games, right? I'll, I'll go back to a D&D game I, I once ran when I was a kid. Okay. I would plan stuff out and I had all the maps written and they were gonna go into this dungeon and I had my friends over and all the characters were ready and then they didn't do anything that I planned. Like they literally were like, oh, that's cool. We're gonna go do something else. And I learned very early on to think on your feet. And so mm -hmm. uh, what I would say is what gaming does to help your brain specifically is it teaches you to plan ahead, but then drop what ever comes your way. Yeah. So have a plan, but then improvise that plan and be adaptable. It teaches flexibility in your thinking process and ironically directly translates over to improvising, mm. which is why kind of naturally went into improv comedy as well because it's literally just telling the story and making stuff up as well. So I'd say if you're uh, if you're stuck in a rut and you uh, you maybe can't creatively generate some really good ideas or anything like that, play a tabletop game for a while. It'll expand your mind and it'll help you creatively come up with different concepts, even you know inventions and stuff like that, right? So come up with different ideas for your real life. I love that. And you brought in the comedy piece, which was going to be the last question I was going to ask you, which is so perfectly placed about improv comedy, because people think comedy, you have to like sit down, write scripts, you know, laugh at your own joke <laughs> to see if it's laughable and all those things. But I think because you're telling stories naturally, it's giving you that ability to expand your thinking. And that also gives somebody a way to tap into your thinking too. So you know for you to make someone laugh is a hard job honestly but if you can do it every time and you're literally taking their funny bone you're you're pretty much good to go and something to think about as well is is that it's different from stand-up comedy in that stand-up mm -hmm. is very similar to selling yourself right right you know i've got a product i'm selling myself here's the whole deal improv comedy is collaborative just like tabletop game right it's not just me up on stage when I'm telling a story as an improviser. I've got my cast behind me as well, unless it's like a mono scene. Yeah. And so I get to explore their brains and their ideas while I'm up on stage, just like I get to explore my players' brains and ideas when I'm running a game. There's this thing about collaborative storytelling in general, and th this can also include collaborative artwork, by the way. Some of my best pieces that I've I've done in my uh, in, on the side have been collaborative artwork pieces. You know, we focus a lot on the self in modern day world, right? You got to improve yourself. You got to improve yourself. You know, got to rise above everybody else. Step on, you know, people and stuff like that. And that's that's kind of a bad way to look at it. Let's go back and look at how kids deal with the world. They play together. They collaboratively build their world, right? If you ever, I have two kids, so if you ever watch kids go meet other kids, they'll start sharing their toys and, and building little worlds and stuff like that together once they get used to each other. And humans were designed to be social and collaborative. And so that's why some of the best art and the most creative concepts we come up with have always been collaborative storytelling. Why else do business people get into a meeting room with a whiteboard and sit there and collaboratively come up with ideas. It's because it works. Yeah. And so if you 
get that piece out of anything else, then you realize that if you want to get better at anything, engage another person, you know, communicate with people of like mind or even different minds and build something together collaboratively and you will succeed every time. So true. So, so true. Wow. That's a beautiful picture to paint, honestly, because it's it boils down to like your own thinking, because like you said earlier, being creative, it has to do with you. And if you can be your own creation or create something that's within you, then somebody can apply or compliment or even collaborate with you because you you have a wall like you're stuck up. But with this creative juices flowing right from birth, it's like you just have to know where to tap into and give the right source to the person so they can give something back to you that's tangible. So I, I love how you were, you were able to bring that up. You know, if there's one thing that you would leave with the podcast show today and the audience, what would that be? What would be that that major key takeaway that they would want to have, you know, after listening to this show? Uh, in regards to the podcast, I would say actually in life. I would leave with learn to have fun again. You know, too often we're very serious in the world and all of my success has been a delightful whimsical journey because I've learned to have fun with everything I do and have fun with the people that I'm working with, whether it's professionally or socially. And I think uh, one of the things our podcast does best is to teach you how to collaboratively play with other people again you know go back to being that kid and i think that you will uh if you if you learn how to do that you will be not only more successful but also just happier overall in your life because you're not so focused on an objective objective means nothing it's the journey with other people that makes it worthwhile that is so true Thank you so much for bringing this light to the show, to the episode, to the podcast. I really appreciate you, Eric, for being here. And I know some people may want to connect with you and also learn about, you know, what you do. How else can they be able to reach out to you if they have any questions or maybe they want to do an improv comedy with you someday? You know, what are the options they have available? I would love that. Uh, You can hit us up at Goblin's Corner on Twitter. You can also find all of our podcasts and YouTube shows on goblinscorner.com. And of course, we have a YouTube channel and we're on all of the audio players as well. Uh, Feel free to hit me up if you want to email me, info at goblinscorner.com. We're happy to talk to anybody. Amazing. Thank you so much. And that will also be available in the show notes for people so they can just click on it and act upon it. So I really appreciate you for being here, Eric. And I wish you a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day and also rest of your week, too. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate being on the show. You're welcome. Anytime.